When you go to optometry school, you learn how to be an optometrist, be a healthcare professional, but you don't learn how to do marketing. You don't learn how to run a business. Okay, let me give you an insight that will blow your mind. And this alone, if I hang up on you, will change your whole life. If you just do that alone, we just probably made you 20% more revenue or maybe double. Seriously. I've really not thought about it like that, but that's a really good thought. You ought to stay in like where your zone of genius is. And like you can certainly learn marketing, but you're going to move much faster if you hire in any field. Yeah, it's a great idea. Welcome to the Optimize Podcast, the only show that solves business challenges in real time. Join Nick Sonnenberg, a world-leading operational efficiency expert and marketing legend, Jay Abraham. Sit in on a new kind of conversation designed to help us answer the most difficult question of all. What am I not seeing? In this episode, we're going to find out how an optometry chain can bring their high-end approach to the mainstream. Danielle Winstone is the founder of Ocula, a New Zealand-based optometrist chain that provides a bespoke high-end approach to a traditional industry. While Ocula has managed to open up multiple locations, Danielle is unsure what the best business plan is going forward. They don't teach business in optometry school. That's where Jay and Nick come in. They'll help Danielle optimize her word-of-mouth marketing, open up new revenue streams, and bring her brick-and-mortar service into the virtual world. And before we get into the show, if you'd like to be in the hot seat, just head to theoptimizedpodcast.com and apply today. Let's get into the episode with Jay, Nick, and our guest, Danielle Winstone. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode. This is going to be really, I think, fun. And eye-opening, Jay. <laughs> oh, that's a good. It'll, it'll, we're going to put a lens on a subject that is really interesting, and we're going to use a plethora of puns and analogies. But we're going to do a really interesting session today But I, with somebody sort of down under. I don't know if you call New Zealand down under or almost down under. We'll have to get clarity in a minute. But those of you who are listening for the first time, the Optimize podcast is, as we were just talking, it's very abnormal. It's not a simple, oh, let's talk about your expertise or your business. It's Nick and I coming at somebody's business benevolently, but ruthlessly focused to uncover hidden opportunities, underperforming areas of the business, underutilized resources, underrecognized opportunities, management-wise, efficiency-wise, productivity-wise, marketing, selling, profit, reclamation, all kinds of unexpected applications. And it's unique scenario-wise to each situation and each uh, guess. And today we have someone, I want to pronounce your name correctly, Danielle Winstone. Is that correct? That's right. Good. And Danielle is, she's zooming in. <laughs> you may not see her. You should because she has gorgeous red glasses and she's attractive and she's looks effervescent. And looking at her profile, she's she's a very ambitious and, uh, and high performance entrepreneur. She owns, how many own, how many op, Optical offices do you own? Four. Four, but soon to be seven? We, we've we got funding to get us to eight in the next five years. That is so cool. Okay, and we're going to start this. And stylistically, Nick is respectful and I am not disrespectful, but I'm more 
let's call it interruptive, Danielle. I will ask interruptive <laughs> questions throughout and don't think it's a rude effrontery, although it could be construed as that. It's actually my attempt to either get clarity or move on so that we can give the greatest uh, contribution. We deal with this as if you paid us twenty, thirty thousand dollars and you know we can't promise what will occur from it, but the outcomes in most of the sessions are unexpected, quite profound, and depending on the mindset of the uh, guest, they can be very transformative for the rest of their business life. And Nick and I have a great time playing off of each other. So you're in for a treat for the next 45 minutes an hour, I hope. Nick, you want to say anything? The goal is if we could get one or two big ideas that you weren't thinking about and unlock some growth potential, that's that's what we're ultimately trying to do in the next 60 to 90 minutes. So maybe you could start by sharing a little bit about what you do, your business model, and what you'd like to talk about, what problems or opportunities you have that we could be helpful. And again, Jay, for those listening, is a icon, a legend in the strategy and marketing space and has literally helped companies in almost every industry generate tens and tens of billions of dollars of additional profit or revenue and immense profit. And I'm on the bottom line side of things, which is operations and helping you with efficiency and saving as much time that you can then go and reinvest into whatever parts of the business you want. So you've got kind of two sides of the coin here. So we'll shut up and would love to hear from you what you do the model and what we're going to talk about for the next hour to hour and a half. Yeah, thank you. And I'm I'm so excited to be here. I'm a little bit nervous to be talking with Jay Abraham and Nick Sonnenberg, but um, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. So thank you so much. I'm I'm an optometrist and we are on the South Island of New Zealand. So I have four practices on the South Island of New Zealand. Our business, Ocular, is positioned in the, the mid to high end market. So we are what you'd call an independently owned practice. So it's it's not um, a, a corporate chain. We 100% own our practices. So we're setting it up similar to a franchise and the fact that we want to be able to scale and grow. But our model is, is that we want to have 100% ownership of the practices as, as we grow. We uh, sometimes might bring in minority shareholders such as optometrists or dispensing opticians as key stakeholders so that we have some skin in the grain. But um, we have learned that uh, for us, we will always be in full control of the decision-making process as well. Just curious, Danielle, total side note, what time is it there and how did you hear about the podcast? So it's Saturday, so I'm coming to you from the future. <laughs> and I'm also coming on April Fool's Day. So I was just thinking, oh. well, <laughs> I hope there's no surprises here for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a Saturday morning, uh, 9.45 in the morning for us over here. And um, I heard about the podcast because I am a Leverage customer. So we've been oh, working great. with uh, Leverage over the last year. Okay, great. Well, I hope it's been going well. Thanks for the background. And so what are you stuck on or what opportunities are you evaluating? So for me, I'm, I'm an optometrist and um, I really resonated with your last podcast with Tim Nelson from Heartworks and the fact that, you know, when you go to optometry school, you learn how to um, be an optometrist, be a healthcare professional, but you don't learn how to do marketing. You don't learn how to run a business. I think it, in the last year, I've decided to move off the tools entirely and I'm now a uh, 100% running the companies. Um, and that's what I enjoy more than optometry these days. 
the hard thing is that I guess I'm always bumping up against my skill set or my knowledge of being able to scale and grow a business. So I've managed to get the practices, four practices at the moment. It's been a steep learning curve and I've not <laughs> learned a few things the hard way. Uh, now that we've got a plan to get to um, eight to 10 practices over the next five years, and we've also been secured the funding to be able to do that, my thought process is I don't know what I don't know. So I'm aware that there's going to be skill sets and mindsets that I need to be able to grow my business. I just don't know what they are. Could I ask just two questions? One, are all four current practices profitable or are some profitable, some not so profitable? And then two, why do you want to scale? Kind of what's the motivation to go from four to eight or 10? Kind of like what what's your long-term game plan that you're shooting towards? So yes, all four practices are profitable. We have uh, been working very hard on that. Um, it is harder to make a um, profit considering that we are completely 100% in the business. A lot of owner operators that sort of have one, maybe two practices, obviously a lot more profitable than we would be because they're doing their own accounts, they're doing their own marketing um, and they're running their, their, their practices themselves. The reason to scale is we are aiming for a buyout is sort of going to be the payday for us eventually, whether that's a, a private equity firm or a industry player. The idea is a buyout. We are at the position at the moment that I'm not looking for growth for growth's sake, and I don't, I'm looking for quality growth, not quantity growth. So we have a lot of people um, uh, coming to us, sort of wanting to sell their practices to us, but we're very considered on what we bring on. There's a few industry players at the moment that are about quantity and just the sheer numbers of doors that they have. And definitely when you're looking at a buyout, just quantity is is the, um, is the game. But I also want to enjoy what I do, and I want to um, – uh, I'm in it for the long haul, if that makes sense. So we're looking for quality growth. So we're only we're only going to expand to those number of practices if it makes sense and if they're the right practices. What's your business model, and where are you making money right now? Is it mm-hmm. you know are, is it selling bespoke glasses? Is it appointments? Like how do you mm-hmm. break down the revenue in the business model? So seventy five percent of our revenue will come from eyewear, and majority of that is spectacle frames and spectacle lenses. Do you have your own brand or is it reselling uh, other brands? Reselling other brands for now. Once we can get more practices, we'll then get the volume required to be able to make our own. What kind of margins on the eyewear? Uh, You're sort of looking at about 60% on spectacle frames and 70% on spectacle lenses. All right. And how have you grown the businesses so far? The growth in the businesses have come from definitely uh, niching into a very select market. The, the eyewear that we um, sell tends to be cult following in, in our industry. What brands would they be? Would they be U.S. type uh, familiar? Possibly we do one or two brands out of the U.S., LA Eyeworks being being one of them, Moscot being another. Um, okay. Some of them will come from Europe. The, the frames I'm wearing are Teo. They're handmade in, um, they're a Belgian brand. Uh, a lot of French brands, Italian brands. For people who can't see it, they're really intriguing. They're really cool. They look like they're yeah. two color. Are they black and red on the bottom? And the same uh, It's pretty hard to see. It's n- navy blue on the top, pink on the bottom. Okay, but they're really interesting. So what would those frames uh, cost? The frames themselves would be 750 New Zealand dollars. Okay. Um, the lenses inside these are, um, we use Zeiss lenses, which are some of the best in the world. So the lenses themselves would be about 500 for the lenses. Wow. That's really cool. Uh, that's nice. <laughs> Is that an average type uh, a transaction for you? No, I think our average type transaction would be 
probably around the $650, $700 mark complete set of glasses. That include the exam? No, the exam would be 150 on top. If you convert that to USD, we're talking in like the 400 to $550 range all in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, you've gotten control. You, did you start all four or did you acquire some of the four? We've always acquired. We've never done a greenfields. Okay, when you acquired them, they were at X and you grew them to multiple X. And it was at one, one driver was going to be the, the unique positioning of the offering, the high-end, uh, more exclusive glasses and, and corresponding lenses. But from a marketing standpoint or a branding standpoint or a you know, media maximizing standpoint, what exactly have you done and how? Our biggest generator of both new clients and um, retaining previous clients has been around the word of mouth side of things. So it's it's definitely the brands, um, but also I think what we have done differently is we have positioned ourselves in a retail market. I think traditional independent optometry tends to be very doctor orientated. You're going in for consultation services. You might have Victoria Beckham eyewear on the the shop out the front, but it doesn't have the retail feel. You don't feel like you're um, having the retail experience when you go to the eye doctor to buy a pair of glasses. It's very much a medical transaction. We've sort of flipped it on its head and um, knowing that 75% of our revenue comes from retail, uh, our fit outs and our stores and all of our client experience is really centered around the retail experience. And I think- Excuse me for interrupting. Is your, are your, are your, I'll call them your offices, stores, however you want to find them. Are they very fashion oriented in the way they're, yes. they're designed and they're in their setup? So it's a great shop experience. It's it's all designed around the client shopping experience for it to feel. Because I think once people know that their eyes are healthy and they can see well, all they really care about is how they look. And so, you know, we, we try really hard to differentiate the clinical consultation experience to the retail experience. And I think that's a very profound uh distinction and, and insight. So are you set up in really high-end locations too? Yes. So uh, we've always um, positioned ourselves on um, the retail districts and on the main street. So yes, it does mean that our rent is a lot higher than probably most traditional traditional optometry practices. But we also do get probably 20, 15 to 20% of our revenue will also come from what we call walk-in traffic. So that's not appointment generated revenue. And they'll walk through. They'll see the they'll see the uh, windows and get and get very provoked and then come in. Whenever I hear that the majority of of a clientele patients in your case or clients, however you refer to them, emanate from word of mouth or referrals, the first thing I ask is how many formalized, systematized referral generating strategies do you have in place right now? I'm embarrassed to say none. Okay, let me give you an insight that will blow your mind. And this alone, if I hang up on you, will we'll change your whole, your whole life. And I'll, at, at the end of this, I'll tell you how I can help you. Just You can give me some frames or some sunglasses or something. But we used to do these, these really interesting. I've got, to, I've got to simulate an experiment so you can appreciate how, I don't know if the word profundity is an existing word, but let's assume it is the profundity of the insight. So I used to do a lot of, of keynotes. I don't anymore. I would ask the audience, how many people in this audience can honestly say that 20 to 100% of their business emanates from either referral word of mouth? So about half the audience stood up. And then I would randomly with my hand pick maybe 20 and I'd say, okay, tell me percentage in dollars every year. 
and factor in, re, you know, repurchases and, you know, back end lifetime value. And it'll be pretty profound, you know, 20% a million dollars, 80%, $5 million, 100%, 500,000, whatever it was. And then I'd say, okay, remain standing. Like I ask you, if you have at least one formalized, systematized referral generating strategy in place that you and everybody in the organization adheres to on a continuous basis, 95% would sit down. Then I would say, okay, two, 95% of the whatever those left, you know, 4%, 5% would sit down. If anybody was less left, I'd say three and they'd all sit down. And then I'd say, okay, well, let's look at something else. Many of the people who stood up and had no referral strategies and said most of their business comes from referrals and the dollars were self-evident because they declared it, will spend money on advertising, Facebook, Google, whatever, radio, billboards, you know, grocery carts, whatever it is. And I'd say, let's look at, at a distinction. That's the outer periphery of trust. Getting that kind of person to buy when they don't know you is an onerous process that is very, very protracted. You go from interest to curiosity to exploration to tentative. And even when they make their first transaction, it's not a, com- a, a totally committed because they don't know whether you'll deliver well. They don't know anything about it except for they want to believe. Whereas a referral generated buyer buys far more quickly, if not immediately. They, they, they are apprehensive less. They're totally, by and large, ready to buy. They don't have a lot of apprehension. They don't negotiate. They buy more, buy more things, buy more often usually are much more enjoyable to deal with. They are more profitable. They cost you nothing. And oh, by the way, they refer other people to you. So I'm telling you that just to underscore the value of having referral generating systems. Because in my work, and I don't know, it sounds like you have a good relationship and awareness of Nick. I don't know how much, if any, you have of me historically, But my work has been working all over the world with about a thousand different industries. And I've analyzed all kinds of, of let's call them tactical, strategic, business model elements. And we found 125 separate ways, Danielle, to generate referrals, 125. Now, it is improbable that anyone would be able to execute, apply, and and, uh, really utilize 125 or 100, or even 25. But if you have none, and let's call it 80% of your business, and let's just hypothetically say it's whatever, hold on, let's say it's it's $6 million. If you had three in play out of 125, that might double or redouble or redouble again your referrals. And that's just one area. So I would just to start off, say you need to have referral strategies in place. And there are many ways to do it. One way to do it is to make refer. It's very, this is daring and most people don't do it, but you can make referral generation a condition of doing business with you. In other words, when somebody comes in, you start with the question, who referred you? And if they're walking, they'll say, well, nobody. And you can say, oh, wow, like 90% of our clients are referred from other clients. And we know if you become one, you're going to be referring as well. And in fact, because we prefer investing our resources in how we serve the client and, and all the 
you know, the support and and the and and acquiring the best possible fashionable frames, lenses, traveling all over instead of spending money on advertising, we actually have two different price levels. One is if you refer in the course of the first year and one is if you don't, but we give everybody the lower one, assuming they'll do it. And if they don't, the next time they come back, we just short rate them. That's the most blatant, which most people won't do. But if you can't do that, the easiest second, I've got 125, but I haven't talked about them for years. I got a course on them, but the next one is literally is programming people that referral generation is the most important thing. If you if, when they get their glasses, first of all, you'd say you'd ask anybody who referred them, and if they tell you, you'd say you would refer. Hopefully, you would know that client enough that you'd say, "Wow, yeah, he looked like a million dollars when we transformed him with those whatever kind of glasses. Now he's got seven pairs." You would look before he came in. At who referred him? If you knew that, then you would say, you know, we have a, we have a, a, an opportunity and a dilemma. We believe we can transform not only the vision, but the vision first and foremost, but the the, the visual look, the you know, the attraction, the appearance, the confidence, and the distinction of so many more New Zealanders or whatever we would call them, men and women. And are you Christchurch or were you the other one? Are you Christchurch? Christchurch, Queenstown, and Wanaka. Okay, but but the problem is we can't reach them all ourselves. So we we look and we hope and we openly encourage our our valued patients, clients. That if you know anybody who tells you I got to get my eyes examined, and you know that's a flashpoint that they're going to probably get new glasses, and without being rude to them, you know that with the right fashion glasses, it would transform their look, their beauty, their distinction. Please, at very least, encourage them to come to us because even if we don't provide them with glasses, they should see the difference. And you program them to to do that. And you constantly do that. If you just do that alone, we just probably made you 20% more revenue or maybe double. Seriously, Nick, you go ahead because I want to think about this for a minute. So just back to kind of the the model, where are you making most of your money right now? Is it on selling the the frames? Is it the exams? Is it the lenses? She just said it's the frame. The, the frame and the lenses. That, that's where not only our revenue sits, but also our profit. Yeah. Where's your superpower? Where are you guys uniquely best? Is it in the the style of the the style of the lenses? Do you have just such a great array of fantastic bespoke? Um, glasses, that, that's really what differentiates you from other places? For a lot of these ranges, um, it's locking in the exclusivity of the contracts. So once we will go into a market, it then means that a competitor can't have that same product. Does everybody know, does everybody know that? No, we probably should, but no. It would be, it would be, it would be a positioning advantage. Yeah. And so that's your unique, your, one of your unique advantages should probably be part of the... And it should be not just what you say. Maybe there's beautiful signage that expresses that inside and in the window, wouldn't you think? The most exclusive and distinctive and desired fashion frames and lenses from all over the world, only available here. So, and you offer... I was just looking at your website. I was playing around, by the way, mm-hmm. in Wanaka. Wanaka. I think that... Wanaka, sorry. Uh, you can't book any 
uh, heads up, like it seems like there's no styling sessions that you can that you can book there. Okay, Might I'll look into that. that. I'm not sure. Thank you. The other ones you can do it, but not that one. So someone walks in. What's the client experience? I walk in. I see a bunch of beautiful frames, and what they they get escorted through the the store with a stylist for the most for the most part. Some come in because they need a, an exam, but they walk in and. F- the happy path is let's go and take a look at what's going to be a fantastic frame for your face. Let me introduce you to a stylist who's going to help you pick something out. Yeah, exactly. And the stylist will then walk you through. Does it need to be in person or is there also an opportunity where you're not constrained to physical locations and you could have a Zoom call with a stylist who could you know, show you online an inventory and then you open up your market to a much broader audience and you don't have to be trying to scale physical locations, at least for that aspect of your business. It's a really interesting thought. And you know, parenthetically, and, and I'll give you the good and the bad. I do an exchange. We have a, we have uh, a guy that grew his, his offices from five to about 45 and he sold it for a lot of money to who's the big company out of Europe that owns everything. Luxottica. Yes. And they bought it for a lot of money and he's used my stuff. And I just end up getting like, I have 30 pairs of glasses. I have every color glass and that's why I like, and I get my wife who doesn't need glasses, hot designer sunglasses. And he sends me 30 or 40 pairs. And he's, he's an investor in, uh, in um, an app that does it just with your, uh, with your phone. And they did it with me and it was too loose. And I mean, cause I mean, Nick, your 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 I mean, your, your face size, your how it shows, and I got a couple of them that are, you know, they're too big here. And you can do it, but I think that's a secondary because it's it's harder to have perfection when they're not there. I mean, you have to do like an AI thing, and it was yeah, but the world's moving in that direction yeah, though, I think, right? I think like, it's what's worth seeing if there's. I mean, here's what I would say: I believe there's probably. There's probably AI out there you could use, but I would be very ginger about just getting behind it until you tested it. Like, you know, do some people you like, so in case it's too loose or too whatever. Maybe I'm taking this uh, too far in left field, but I'm just wondering, I be- AI is moving so fast right now. I bet you, you could already right now take a picture of me, no glasses on, right? And then you have an uploaded inventory of all your glasses, right? And then- we get on a Zoom, which I another question is, could you charge as another revenue stream for those styling sessions? I mean, if you if you want to hire another type of stylist, you're paying for that. So could this other revenue stream be a glass and frame stylist that you pay, even if it's a hundred bucks, whatever it is. And then I could be a customer here in New York. I pay you a hundred dollars. I hop on a Zoom. You've got my face uploaded and with, uh, you know, via some artificial intelligence now you're showing me what I would look like, you know, portrait, front, ev- you know, every angle with all these glasses. And then, you know, I like this. I don't like this. And we get it down to like, if you do a photo shoot, you have 500 pictures, and then you get it down to like 10 that you like, and then you pick it and then you could ship it out to me. And then I go to a local optometrist here and do, do the lenses. That's exactly where the world's heading. hundred percent. I think it's Jay's right in the fact that we're not quite there yet. Um, but Nick's also right in the fact that this is definitely where the world is heading. So I'm, I'm just asking that though, because if that's the way the, the world's heading, we started off by saying you've raised all this money to open up you know, physical mm-hmm. stores. If in the next couple of years, that is potentially the direction 
the world is going, do you still need to be focused on an additional four stores? Not thought about, really not thought about it like that, but that's a really good thought. I think that's profound, but there is, there is this really interesting integration. And and I've talked about this a lot. I don't know if I've talked about it on, on the podcast, but integrating optimization and innovation in terms of revenue model, uh, you know, uh, strategy, et cetera, you you have two totally opposite optimization. uh, Danielle is literally, it's about getting everything you can. For example, if you say, Hey, uh, referrals are great. And I go, well, how many referral systems? And I go, none. And I say, okay, well, if you had three to five, you might double your business. That's optimization. And then you would figure out how to basically go back and get the people who refer, you'd go to the 80-20 rule and you'd, you'd have a lot more investment on the people that had been the biggest referrers, the littlest, and you'd try to work that up, the, up and down the food chain. Innovation is making all that obsolete and then going to what Nick is saying and having, but you can have your your cake and eat it too. Normally, optimization produces an enormous increase in bottom line performance for very little fixed cost and marketing uh, cost. And then, and then you can take that, even though you've got funding, funding costs money, whether it's debt, whether it's equity, it sounds like it's debt right? Yes. Yeah. And so before you take debt, if before you need, you know, particularly if it's variable based, if it's, if it's fixed, it's a lot better if it's low, but if it's variable based, you don't want to go into a dangerous economy with too much debt. If first you might free up a million or $2 million just by better optimizing. And I'm talking bottom line, I'm not talking uh, top line revenue, just by optimizing what you're already doing, who you're already doing it for, and just looking at all the levers that are available? That's in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of um, opportunity that we have at the moment to make the, our current four stores definitely more profitable. And then where we go to from that, whether that's more bricks and mortar, whether that's online, is um, I, do, I do think it's worth getting that right first. How many, how many patients or clients, whatever you refer to them as, do you have right now that you would call active? And I don't know if active means every every year they come for an exam or every 18 months or whatever, you know, whatever your, your criteria is. How many roughly? Depend on the location, but it would average about 5,000 per location. And would there be an, a, an equal amount of inactive from the past? Again, it also depends on the age of the, the, the practice that we've acquired, but uh, there's generally about 30 to 40% active clients at any one point in time. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is just me giving you simplistic stuff, but, and and it reminds me, I haven't talked about this for years, Nick. We used to talk about the easiest ways to grow a business. And the first way was doing referrals, but the other was looking at attrition. I mean, if you look at why people stop going somewhere, it tends to be many reasons. The first one is they had an interruption in their life and something happened that had nothing to do with you. And they just either shifted, they moved, they were gone, something happened, but it wasn't to do with any bad anything. The second is they had a bad experience and they never really either expressed it, resolved it, you know, maybe something was didn't fit right or they, they had a problem with a doctor, whatever it was. And the third is they outgrew it. And that would be, you know, either they would have LASIK or they'd have cataract or whatever it would be. But the first two, if you just follow up with a systematic approach and say, you know, we, we, 
we appreciated when you were our patient client. You haven't been here for quite a while. You may not even know that we have the most amazing and an exclusive selection and inventory or, 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 or whatever you would call it, styles of, of European glasses that are only valued, only available here and they can transform a look. And, and we're calling for two reasons. One, to make sure if you're not coming to us, which you're not, that you are having your eyes regularly examined because it's very mm-hmm. important the older you get. And secondly, if you haven't been here for a while, you should because it's, it's pretty exciting. And if you've ever sensed that maybe you'd like to up your, your appearance game, we've got glasses that are utterly transformative. And I mean, if you just come in and visit again, but even if we never talk again, we're calling because we are committed to your vision betterment. You were a client, patient. We have an obligation to make sure. And if you just did that, and let's say you had 20,000 inactive, I'm promising you and if some go and, and if some say, well, I had a bad experience, then the key to that, which could be, I mean, it could have had any of a number of bad experiences. You don't know what it would be. And the key is always make it right and say, look, I'm giving you language that's it's infallible because I've done this many, many times. The language you'd use is, you know, we need to have the last, if you never deal with us again past what I'm about to say, it's important to us that the last transaction you have with our uh, with our opt- optometric store, shop, uh, clinic, you know, uh, you know, whatever office is a very happy and satisfying one. So we need to make it right. If you wish to come in, we will examine you gratis. We'll waive the 150 and any one pair of glasses you want to get, we'll give you a 40% or a 30% because it's incrementally starts the process again. Mm-hmm. There's lots of methods to reactivate. And again, if somebody left and said, you know, Either, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm blind or now, you know, I moved to another part of New Zealand, you would say, well, promise us that you are having your eyes regularly examined and, and, and because, you know, statistically it's going to change every year at your age. But if you talk to people where you used to live, family, friends, relatives, ex, you know, you know, you know uh, colleagues at, at work, church, please, please make sure they know that this is not the way it used to be. This has become one of the most uh, prized fashion destinations in, and that and people don't realize that one of the biggest transformations anybody can make, because people look at first your eyes, then your, your nose and face. We can't help your nose and face, but we can transform anybody <laughs> you care about. No, I'm serious. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. But I bet you don't do any of that, do you? We're working on reactivation at the moment. But that's, I mean, and I'm not arguing, but when people hear what I say, they'll say, we're doing something. And I'll say, but they're very nuanced, what I say. And most people don't really, it's it's a little bit, it's shell-shocking and they don't hear the implications, but it's very different than just saying, okay, send an email that says, we want you back. Also, something very important, then I'm going to turn it back to Nick. What I have found, whether... You know, I don't know how often you you communicate with your existing patients, but if I mean I have, as I say, I'm I'm almost probably addicted. I I bet I have at home fifty pairs of glasses, and I'll pick like last night I went to a social engagement and I wore a very expensive red sport coat with a red sweater, and I had my red glasses. 
I have green glasses. I have turquoise glasses. I have blue glasses. I have per- turquoise blue glasses. You'd look great in these in these navy and pink ones, Jay. Maybe <laughs> I, can, I can I can hook you up. <laughs> is that the since it is a fashion item, there's no reason if you have a clientele that can afford it, they shouldn't have three or four pairs, and, and not just a, a dressy pair and you know a utility pair. But if you write different communications and say, "Have you ever thought about the fact that you can transform your look?" You know. Is it a distinguished look you want? Is it a you know a sexy look you want? Is it an authoritative look you want? Is it just a casual? You and just say more and more people are buying multiple pairs of glasses for different reasons. Just like you might change your top, your bottom, your accessory. Glasses are becoming the ultimate visual accessory, and you could start that. And I bet anything if you started advocating. People would start you if you program people, and that's something you should do in the beginning of any relationship. People do what they are ethically programmed to do because they don't really have that kind of referential base. If at the time you have the first the first interaction with a patient client, you say, and this will probably be the first of many different pairs you'll buy once you get the compliments, and you pre-frame them, no pun intended, for the compliments they're going to get, and and the Looks and you say when you walk home, if you, I mean if they have a significant other, that uh, you can make fun of it. You can say, "Don't be surprised if they're you looked at with a little bit more of a twinkle in their eye or whatever," <laughs> and then program them that this is the first of many because the average, the average patient when they see how great they look and feel and how the compliments they want to have different ones, and you start programming them. Even just that, Jay, is really. Um Eye-opening? Yeah, eye-opening. <laughs> <laughs> but just to start to really um, give us a strategy for our, for our communications chat. Well, one more thing. One more thing. Are you in shopping centers or are you on streets that have a lot of fashion stores in them? Streets that have fashion stores in them, not shopping centers. I'll give you one more th- thought. And if you do any of these, I promise they work. How much they work is going to be on execution. So I, I love telling stories. I think Nick is, gets sick of hearing them, but they're sort of interesting. I used to go to China all the time when there were good U.S.-China relations. Obviously, I don't anymore, but I was very well received. And I actually attracted quality people that weren't trying to steal all of our secrets. And what we used to do very expensive $25,000 a person makeover sessions. And one group that came to it, they owned a fashion brand that had retail stores next to all the Louis Vuittons, but it was partially owned by the government and they didn't have any kind of marketing budget. They didn't have, have a good budget for display and for really tricking out their stores, but they were in all these centers where all the hot fashions were. And upon looking at what they were spending, they were spending money on the, you know, the Vogues and everything, but they were just not getting much out of it. And if you looked at their product, they sold, they called them, uh, they were scarves, but they were gorgeous scarves, like 1,000, 2,000. And they were sort of just really cool things that were very, very beautiful. But you couldn't tell the way they were hanging on them because they just had them terribly, terribly displayed. And they had no real marketing money. And I found out they had a ton of inventory in in a warehouse that was just sitting. And it was very beautiful and very expensive, but the cost of it was very, very low. So we created for them 
and I just, this was one of my favorite innovative concepts. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tickle myself, which is unfortunate, but we said, okay, why don't you go to every fashion store in the shopping malls you're in that doesn't have a standard outfit that the salespeople have to wear and, and provide every woman with a different scarf every day to use. Mm -hmm. And they're going to look like a trillion dollars. And people will say, that's great. Where did you get that? And they will refer to you. And we did that. And for about $100,000 a cost, they owned the mind share of all the, all the high-end designer shops that didn't mandate that their staff wore the same thing. So there's another idea. You could go for, I mean, mm -hmm. if the hard cost of your glasses are, let's call it, I don't know. Well, let's say that's 300 US dollars. If you had four people in every one of the high-end stores wearing your glasses, and that's a hard cost of $1,200 to, have, to have, have a piece of Louis Vuitton's real estate and a piece of you know, Gucci, it's a pretty low cost, don't you think? Yeah, it, it's a great idea. Definitely. Well, in your in your intake, you had mentioned that you were wonder. Let's just like maybe shift for a second to operations. How are you currently operating in terms of what's the profile of your team? What's the profile of the platform and the technologies? Like what you have? A, I'm guessing you have a CRM. Um, but it'd be great to know how you actually are operating, what tools you use, the types of roles that you have. And I know you were considering: Do you need to hire a COO or an executive coach? So maybe we could just. Talk about how you operate for a little bit here. Yeah, so so our org chart would probably look like um, each practice has a practice manager, and then we have one middle management at the moment who's more HR based, and then there's myself and my husband who my husband's big into the IT finance side of things, and then I would be more strategy operations. And so the systems we use, uh, a, our CRM would be a optometry specific electronic medical record system. I would love to use something like Salesforce or HubSpot. And we're working at the moment trying to ex extract the, the customer details out of our incredibly archaic um, industry specific uh, CRM. But that, that CRM you only need for the part that is health related, right? That you need the HIPAA compliance or is it HIPAA yes. that you have to deal with? Uh, so, Similar, um, yeah. but yeah, whatever the equivalent. But sounds like a large part of your business is on selling the frames and the lenses, which you, you don't need HIPAA compliance to be tracking that, right? So, yeah. you know, maybe you could just have you know that HIPAA compliance CRM just for the small part of the business that requires that, but then you actually have like a HubSpot or mm -hmm. you know one of the more major market platforms for your general CRM and sales and marketing. Yeah, definitely. And actually, we've been working with, his name escapes me, Michael from Leverage, who works on um, looking at uh, software platforms for those. And we've been working with them to try and see how we can we can use that better. Okay, cool. So you have you, your husband, I guess it's more like a shared service HR person that will support the four. And if you scale to eight, they'll help on that front. And then you have four individuals that are running each of the stores. They're responsible for managing the style each store has yeah. a stylist yeah so for each store we'll have um one to two optometrists and for per optometrist will be about four stylists they're all full-time staff full-time equivalent yeah so four full-time equivalent support staff to one optometrist 
Well, I guess if you if you ever go the online model, um, you might mm-hmm. you might not have to you might yeah. not have to have so many stylists. You might be able to have one full time or two full time stylists and just booking online appointments. So, um, what else are you using to run the company? Do you use Slack, Asana, any of those other tools? Yep. So we um, we obviously worked with Leverage last year. That was our biggest thing was um, trying to get those optimizing our, our systems and our processes. So we've been moved across to Slack, Asana, Process Street, and Notion. Okay. Oh, great. And how's that working? Have you guys adopted it? Are you saving some time? Yep, definitely. It's been, I, I think the team are definitely saving time on the ground for sure. It's helping us scale. Uh, when we talked talk in our last uh, location, having those systems and processes, we, we found the onboarding of a new practice a lot quicker and easier and also the onboarding of new individual employees a lot quicker. So. What's your another? I'll, I'll ask. A, it's more of a Dan Sullivan question. But what's your unique ability, superpower, whatever you want to call it? And well, let's start with that. And what's all the stuff that you spend your time on that's not in your superpower? My personal superpower would be um, the strategy, setting the pace and the direction for the company, and sort of knowing what we're working on, what we're not working on. Um, I'm definitely high level. I'm not detail orientated. What percentage of your time do you get to spend on this high level strategy? Um, I'd say 60%. The 40% that you're not, what, what is, uh, what does that look like? What kind of activities are you, are you doing? So at the moment, I'm the one actually writing in the systems and the processes into process street, into notion, actually documenting those. And also we use a platform called rise, um, for our training, our, our team training, and I'm writing content for the tra- team training. Is that just for a set period of time? And then like once you get your core training in there, you're kind of done. So like what's when will you be finished with that project? I mean, obviously there needs to be updates. It's a living, breathing thing. But when will this initial project be done where you get, you know, the top couple dozen most important things and then it's more just maintenance? I think that's where we're at. So we we eighty twentyed it and I'd say our our top twenty processes and um what needs to in notion is done and our top 20 yeah. um, training is done. Now Now it's just in the maintenance phase. Okay. So hopefully that frees up some time. So what else, are, mm-hmm. what else is in the 40%? Would be the people management. So it's managing, um, I think I wrote in my intake form, the fact that I am considering taking back over the marketing side of things um, and also ma- managing the, the managers. Yeah. What does marketing entail also? Yeah. So, because I heard you say your your husband is doing IT and finance, you have HR, and then you have general managers, but we never talked about marketing. Who's that? You have another centralized marketing person? Yeah. So, we have a um, marketing director and also a marketing coordinator. Um, and that's because I've been on back-to-back maternity leaves and I've just, just come back out of um, my last maternity leave and that will be my last maternity leave. Um, and so... Um, while I've been on maternity leave, we've had a marketing director who's um, obviously taken uh, care of the marketing department. But one of one of my struggles has been that it's been run in a very, I guess, textbook way of doing marketing. Like Jay is saying, um, I guess I'm trying to think about it in a really CEO strategy, sales perspective. But a lot of um, sometimes traditional marketing tends to be, you know, um, not driven by probably how you want to grow the company. So you have the marketing director and the coordinator. Mm-hmm. The corner is just executing what the director mm-hmm. is exactly. setting in the strategy. Okay. So um, and then any other team members that you that you have, or that's that's the team. That's pretty much it, and just an accounts person that works with my husband. Yeah. 
once you free up time on this training and documentation, you're you're saying you're going to have to go and shift and you know kind of just all that freed up time goes into this marketing strategy stuff. Unless you hire, mm-hmm. you might not need a full time marketing person. Maybe you, mm-hmm. I mean, between Jay and I, like we know a ton of marketing consultants and firms. Maybe just a fractional CMO, you know, might be enough for you. Um, I don't know what. Uh, what size you're at of a, of a business or what kind of volume of leads you're trying to generate. But, you know, you might be able to just get by with a fractional CMO and not have to take that on. That, that was my thought entirely was to sort of step into the marketing director position myself, just because I tend to have a, I'm reading a lot of books. I have read a few of your books, Jay, and also yours, Nick. And that's sort of where my thought is, is running the company from more of that sort of sales CEO side of things than the traditional marketing. Even more so than probably the systems and the processes and the training, I think marketing for me is my number one priority. And so that would be more important to me to be spending my time on that. I mean, but if you're not an expert, if you're not an expert at it, and I don't, can you afford, can you afford to hire a, so what, you have to you have to choose. Do you hire a COO, which was what the initial question was, or do you hire a head of marketing, or do you hire an executive coach? Are those kind of like the three options of where you invest kind of your next big investment? My my initial question was, do I hire an executive coach or a COO? I guess it hadn't occurred to me as to whether we need to be hiring probably somebody more skilled than myself, but or the CMO side of things. Yeah or the CMO side of things. I feel like we've got so many untapped potential currently in our business that we wouldn't really need such a high level marketing side of things. Like Jay said, there's some really simple s- strategies that we just haven't even really executed yet. We haven't pulled those levers. But but could the marketing coordinator execute on those levers? And then you have a fractional CMO at a f- few grand a month that oversees that person and make sure that they're executing on that strategy just so that you don't have to spend your time on that side? That's a great idea. I think, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but that would be, that would be perfect. Yeah. I mean, like you really want to just, you ought to stay in like where your zone of genius is. And like, if you're, you know, you can certainly learn marketing, but it's, you're going to move much faster if you hire in any field, mm-hmm. you know, people hire Jay because he's got decades of experience and you can, you know, go and sit with him for a day but you could you could invest tens of thousands of hours in reading books and studying and practicing and you know learn a lot of the stuff or you you know mm-hmm. hire a coach or a consultant and they shortcut you you know mm-hmm. I would I would advise you just go the shortcut route get a fractional have them implement some of these strategies and have them oversee that other person to hire a COO at your size seems like overkill to me but again you don't it doesn't have to be binary where it's full time or not you can always hire fractional COOs too. So mm-hmm. I'd be looking at your size because you don't have the complexity of, you know, hundreds of people like you've got a small team. So, you know, it's a, which is a benefit. Stay small. It's a pain in the ass to have a big team. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah. I would I would I would do that. And then something that most people don't do early enough, which I think is really important, is setting goals with team members, really identifying what does success look like? you know, and checking in with people, you know, are you hitting what we, what we had agreed are the goals to hit and having, you know, so this is something that, you know, this fractional COO could help you with, or you could, it's not rocket science. Mm -hmm. I I talk about in in my, in my book, you want everyone to be aligned with what matters most. And you want to be able to have a place where you can track their progress, hold them accountable. And so things like goal setting, like OKRs, objectives, and key results, Things like performance reviews, this, I guess, would be more on your husband. There's mm-hmm. tools like 15.5 or Lattice. Um, 15.5 is probably better for you because um, 
as a as a small business. But those are ways that people could have you know weekly pulse checks to see how they feel and what their wins were, and you could have like feedback loops or quarterly reviews about their performance, you know, and what activities they do that tie to your core values, things like that. I think most companies don't do that early enough. And you have the benefit of being small right now. And while you're small, you want to make sure that you're getting all you can out of all, all you got, right, Jay? And you want to get everything, everything out of each team member. And just, you don't need a full, and you know, a hundred grand on a coach also seems like, Quite a bit. What what exactly does that entail? Is it a local person that's uh, that's really great? And what is he or she going to do for you? So based in Australia, I, he has been my coach up until now, but more in a, a group coaching style um, with sort of fortnightly hot seats, I guess. So far, he's been fantastic for for, for us and our company. Yes. And uh, Nick, what's the correlation? What's your what's your currency conversion to US? It's like 60 cents on the dollar. So it's not 100 grand. It's more like 60 grand, which is five grand a month. Mm -hmm. But what would he coach you in? I'm not demeaning him at all, but what would he coach you Mm -hmm. in? So his his style is um, probably 60% headspace, 40% strategy. Um, So a lot of it tends to be probably um, being my, sitting in my blind spot, challenging me, sort of um, pushing pushing me beyond sort of the, the limits and the ceilings. I mean, it, you know, it's always now we used to, I don't do it anymore. I should. We, well, I do. People can come and buy, you know, at two hours, but, but we used to let people have a month for like 30 grand. This is much more expensive than you. And they'd get a couple of sessions and then they could play around with it and see if they wanted to go forward. And then we'd give them a better, a better deal for, but is he going to, does he work privately every day, week, month? What would be this process? So from my understanding, he's only got two, three clients that are on this conciliary program and it would be as, as much as we need him definitely each week. I'm sitting in on a one hour call with him, um, but available um, WhatsApp and calls as much as I need him to be involved. Um, coming across to New Zealand, working in the companies for a wee bit just to sort of see how we're working uh, and the teams. Does it have to be such a, a long time commitment? Could you go... Three months, six months. Or, you know, like test it for three months and have a minimum, like I go forward based on some some short term, whether tangible or into, if you say, hey, I need to, like, I just give you a lot of, a lot of super obvious, but not necessarily linear uh, approaches. You can say, hey, let's decide what are, whether if it's marketing, whether it's growth imperatives, both tangible and intangible are, and let's set a three month like a, a just a benchmark milestone, and if it's we're there, we'll continue. And if not, then it's you, you know I'll pay you something, and you'll have gotten you'll have an imbi- impact. Mm-hmm. So far, he's been great for us. Well, just like what I was saying before about setting goals and performance, you know, you, you would treat this the same way. What does success look like? What needs to happen for you to feel like you're you got a return on your investment, and you know, have a talk with them, but. If you don't mind me asking, what's the range of your revenue or where's your revenue at? We're at six million at the moment. Okay. I was well, congratulations. That's uh I was just wondering what percentage the hundred thousand was gonna be into that. Mm-hmm. No, it, it for the most part fairly even between the four. Yeah. So Danielle, if you're doing six million revenue, what's the profit on that? We sort of aim for about a gross profit of uh sixty-eight and a net That's percent? Yes. Yeah. One thing I'm confused with then. So you're making a 68% profit margin on 6 million, yeah? 
gross profit. What's your net? It sits around 20, 20 to 25. So why did you need to raise money if you're netting over a million a year? Why did you need to raise money to, to go and do four stores? It seems like, how much does it cost <laughs> to buy? What's the cost? Are you buying on terms? Are you buying on cash? So at this point, we would be, I guess it's, we still do need bank lending because a, a new acquisition would cost us about a million to, to buy a new practice. If you paid a little bit more on terms, but you you perfected some of the things that we're talking about, so you knew mm-hmm. when you got control that you might be able to free up an extra $30,000 a month to pay the debt service, you might be better off trying that. And worst case, then if you can't, if it does, if it goes negative, then you borrow the differential, which might be half of that. Even if you pay a little more to on terms, we have a new book, Nick, that I'm doing with Roland. It's it's all about how to buy businesses using 200 different strategies, then blow up the EBITDA, and then exit for a massive. We call it a, a, an epic exit, and uh, it's not out yet, but it's all about that, Daniel. So it's well, that, that's what I was that was what I was getting to. I think that she should study a little bit about what you and Roland were doing, and also Roland Fraser. Because, you know, we started off the conversation that your goal is to expand and double the number of stores. I always like to really get clear. Are we really solving the, the true problem that we need to solve? Do you really need to, back to the very, very beginning, do you really need to go private equity, raise money? And, you know, you're making a really healthy net profit. Borrowing to get there may be totally unnecessary if you try some of these techniques, Daniel. Mm-hmm. We've managed to get to the four that we have at the moment without having to borrow. What we always like to ask our guests are, what were some of the big takeaways that you're going to go and implement? And maybe we'll do a check-in in six to 12 months and see how you're progressing with it. I think the the biggest takeaway for me was the the optimization of what we're currently doing. So I think it's optimizing our marketing, particularly for the word of mouth, the referrals piece was really big for us. I think that's a huge missed opportunity that we have. And also just thinking a little bit outside the square with our marketing, um, like Jay was saying, you know, looking at rather than doing X amount of dollars on Google ads or Facebook, you know, rechanneling that back into having people around our, our practices um, wearing eyewear is, is such a great idea. The other thing is to think about, you know, really questioning, do we need bricks and mortar or should we be really heavily investing on whether we can scale this on a virtual side? I've looked into it before, but not from the side that you were talking about, Nick, with sort of online Zoom session styling, those sorts of things. I think that that's brilliant. So that that on its own has given me plenty to work on. Thank you to everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you find this show helpful, please hit the follow or subscribe button. It does wonders for the show so more people can find the optimized podcast organically. If you'd like to be on the show, we have an open invite to anyone who wants our challenges solved. If you want to get in the hot seat, you can submit your business right now at theoptimizedpodcast.com. If we think you're a good fit, we'll get you on the show. If you have any questions or recommendation, drop us a comment right here, wherever you're listening to your podcast. We'd love to hear from you. See you on the next episode.